Welcome to Stand Alone. I'm Sabrina Lloyd, founder and CEO of Lloyd Agencies, a multi-million dollar company that ranks as one of the most successful in the insurance industry. My passion is empowering people to become the leaders that they were meant to be. With each episode, I'll teach you how to go from ordinary to extraordinary, how to think like no one else, how to stand alone. It's time we create massive success for ourselves. Welcome, everyone. Another episode of Stand Alone, where we really direct ourselves instead of just living by default, right? Where we go from being ordinary to extraordinary. And today I have a very special guest with all of us today, Richard Newman. So he is the founder of Body Talk and the author of Born to Speak. And, you know, when I think about being and playing at a high performing level to, to move from being ordinary to extraordinary, I can't think of any body of work that is more important to discuss that isn't spoken about enough, which is communication. And what's so amazing about Richard's work is that it's been published in the Journal of because it's proven. And we'll go into his past and how he came up with all of this material. But if we're looking to get better and we're not good at communicating and we don't understand the nonverbal aspects of communicating, it'll make what we're doing that much harder. So, you know, Richard, I'm so honored to have you here. I want us to dissect this for the audience. And, you know, your book was amazing because it really helps for people to understand exactly what communication is. And I've seen leaders that, you know, have risen the ranks because maybe, you know, maybe they had results and they were good at doing robotic things, but then they hit this ceiling because they don't have the ability to communicate effectively. So I wanted to start off with you just being so open and honest and saying that you were an introvert. You know, you were someone who didn't want anything to do with communication. And I feel like I align with you in this because I was a science nerd. I didn't, the world of business was very scary to me. So I wanted you to share with everyone you know, what made you understand that, you know, I am this way, but I can also break out of my shell and I can learn these vital skills. What was it inside of the young Richard that wanted to change from being an introvert to someone who could then teach hundreds of thousands of people how to communicate effectively? Yeah, great. Thanks, Sabrina. Really good introduction into this uh, because it's a question that I get asked all the time. And, you know, quite typically, if I'm training clients or if I come off stage in front of a thousand people and someone comes up to me for a quiet co- uh, question or a conversation and they might say, look, you know, it's all very well for you, Richard, doing this communication, but I'm an introvert and I'm shy and how am I supposed to do it? And then I sort of reveal the hidden secret behind what I'm doing where I say, look, I'm very proudly an introvert. That is who I am. And, you know, very much taking from that, uh, the definition of this, that I gain my energy by being by myself. And I, I will restore myself from long trips overseas training clients by coming home and putting a hoodie on and trying not to speak to anybody. Uh, and so I, I, as I grew up when I was a child, I was always uh, shy. In fact, my, uh, my mom used to introduce me to people by saying, uh, here's my son, Richard, he's very shy. And I thought that was my name. Like she, she said it so often, I was like, oh, oh is, that, is that like a middle name then? Okay, fine. Uh, but yeah, I had, had always struggled with communication. Uh, and I felt this very deeply from the age of being four years old, just the sense of, I, I moved to a new school at that age, just before my fifth birthday. And other kids were really managing to communicate with each other. And I wasn't, and I wasn't able to pick up new friendships. And my sister who'd moved to the school at the same time, she was picking up some friendships, uh, but I was really struggling there. And I thought there's, there's something in this. I, I, I seem to be lacking some communication skills. And that stayed with me through my life, through uh, into sort of secondary school, going up to age 16, 17, thinking, you know, I I can do well academically, just like you said, there's people who go through their life, through their career, where they work hard on various different aspects of their education and their career, and they realize 
wait a second, I'm never going to be able to fulfill my ambitions here unless I get good at the so-called soft skills. And I think particularly entrepreneurs find this in business or business leaders think I'm going to work on hard skills because that's what entrepreneurs and trailblazers do and they forget the soft skills. But I had a wake up call about this when I was 17 years old. Uh, there was a friend of mine, brilliant guy. He's his uh, godfather to my eldest son. I, I just love him to pieces. And he is so intelligent. And he would read three books per day during the summer holidays when the rest of us were out, you know, chucking a Frisbee around. And uh, he then wanted to go to Oxford University. And he, he was clearly the most intelligent, well-read person they could ever have at their university. But uh, they, they rejected him. And part of that was related to communication skills. And that was a wake-up call for me because I thought, if I'm going to succeed in life, I will never be as intelligent or well-read as him. Like, it's just not possible for me to catch up. But maybe I can do something on my communication skills. And so I very much started a mission for myself, which was to venture down that path. And so I started in quite an unusual place, really, which was uh, I decided I would go and teach English overseas and ended up living in a Tibetan monastery where I was forced to communicate through body language and tone of voice. And when I say forced, I mean that they didn't speak any English. So I couldn't communicate using words. I couldn't just rely on my language. I had to figure out another way to connect with human beings. And I spent six months with them doing that. I then threw myself onto the stage where I studied acting for three years in London, where all day, every day, and some, sometimes people think, oh, acting training, that's easy. You put on tights, pretend to be a tree, read a bit of Shakespeare, and that's it. But actually what they did for us was 12 hours a day. You were on stage learning how to sit, stand, move, breathe, create feeling, create an emotion, like create a connection between you and the people on stage and the audience. And you do that all day, every day until you can't do anything but do that. And from there, then built my company. And really the mission behind building my company, Body Talk, is that sense of I know how much I struggled to have a voice, how much you know, people just ignored me for, for the first you know, 16, 17 years of my life. I just really wasn't able to connect. And I, and I loved finding a way through being an introvert, through being shy, finding a way that I can actually communicate and not just do that, but I can stand on a big stage in front of a huge audience teaching them how to communicate. And that's the transition. So what I say to clients is, look, if I can do this, then you can absolutely do it. And if you don't learn how to do it, like you said, Sabrina, they're going to hit a ceiling. And in fact, we've had clients come to us where, you know, there was one guy I, I trained who'd been turned over for promotion twice, where they'd said to him, put yourself forward for this. You deserve the job. You're the right person here. And he went into the interview and afterwards, the feedback was, they said, you're all sausage and no sizzle, meaning you've oh got a qualification, but you just can't sell it. And there comes a stage if you're, it doesn't matter if you're an engineer, if you're a doctor, if you are working in telecoms, working in insurance, it doesn't matter. If you reach a certain stage, you've got to then be able to lead people, inspire them, motivate them. And that's not just through strategic decisions. It comes through them believing in you. Do I like you? Do I trust you? Do I want to follow you? And that's where these skills come in. Wow. You know, this is, it's a lot to unpack because um, in sales, like we are so focused on our words and, you know, is things that are nonverbal, you know, where I, I've, I read uh, the data that it says that, uh, you know, 90% of our communication is nonverbal. So, you know, let's say this is true, right? Well, we, we really have to go to work on this 90%. That means that the customer isn't listening to our words as much as they're listening to everything else. And I wanted to really get your expertise on this because for a lot of people, we spend so much time on the wrong things, you know, and when you say nonverbal communication, I wanted to give some examples of this, like, what is it? And you do this really, really well in your book where you talk about the first part of um, you were born to feel. And I love the analogy you gave with horns and halos, because in our industry, we do a lot of interviewing. And what, a pe what people don't understand is that 
your first impression, it's something that you're always playing against. You know, if it's good, then they're going to find supporting data to, to confirm that. If it's bad, they're going to find supporting data to confirm that. So what would you say are some tips uh, for the audience? What are, number one, these nonverbal cues? And then what are tips that we could do to get better so we're not just training our words, but we're training the other nonverbal aspects of communication? Great. Yeah, thanks, Sabrina. So, yeah, there's lots that we can go into here. And, and just to, to explain for, for people hearing that, the horns and halo uh, piece that I explained there is that in the first 30 seconds, of meeting someone in an interview, uh, you know, as much as we aim to keep an open mind, uh, we emotionally, instinctively react to that person and think uh, either I like this person or I don't like them. And from then on, you are ha you have horns or a halo, and they will just look for confirmation bias. They'll look for reasons not to hire you or to hire you, to, to not to buy from you or to buy from you. And so it's critical to know what that is. And if we look in the science behind this, so the science that people quote, the, the one you're referring to, there's back in the 1960s, Albert Morabian put together this study. It was done in California. There's about 60 people involved, uh, where he wanted to find out how much are we really reading in communication between body language, tone of voice, and words. And this experiment, many people try and tear it apart. And I think that, you know, it's, it is uh, overblown compared to what he was really aiming for. But what he said is, you're going to ask someone a question, and they can just say the word maybe in reply. And you need to figure out, well, where am I really getting the answer from? Is it the word, the body language, or the tone? And overwhelmingly, people said it was really the body language, partly the tone, and not really uh, the words. But what we did is more recently, we extended the science on this to come to your question about what can people do? This is always what I've been driven by, is to figure out, is there something everyone can do in every situation that will increase your results? And so in 2016, we published this work in, in the uh, Journal of Psychology, where we involved more than 2,200 people from around the world to prove that this is universal. We had people aged from 18 to 65 involved in the study, uh, men and women, people with different skin color. We had people from different ages involved. And all we did was this, is that we said, okay, you're gonna say the same words, uh, you're gonna wear the same clothes, you're gonna record a video of yourself, and then send it and see when people watch you, uh, are they, do, do they like you? Do they trust you? Do they want to do business with you? Are they convinced by you? Are they, do they think you're, you're confident? Would they vote for you in an election? A whole range of things. And when people saw this video, they had to rate that person on all these different areas. But what people didn't realize is that we'd made a hundred variations of this video. So in every video, the words were the same. The outfit the person was wearing was the same, but their body language changed slightly from one video to the next. And what we proved there is that it didn't matter. If you're a man or a woman, it didn't change the ratings, which we were really surprised about. We thought it would. Uh, it didn't matter if you had lighter skin or darker skin. It didn't change the ratings, which again, we thought was surprising. It also didn't matter if we did this study in India or in America, we were getting the same results. But here's what we did get is that, you know, I'm a fan of words and I think words are really important, particularly on your website or, uh, you know, in a, in a message or a document you can send, they're important. But here's what we found. You can say the same words, wear the same clothes, and in your next virtual meeting or in your next face-to-face -face meeting, you can increase the number of people convinced by your message. So the number of people convinced to buy your product or service by 42% just by changing a couple of things that you're doing. So the question is, well, what is it? What do you need to change? So uh, let's look at uh, the most common things to look at. Uh, firstly, a key piece behind this, people are always talking about gravitas and presence and where does this come from? And so one of the key findings that we had uh, around this was very simply uh, that uh, you've got to make sure uh, that you are using gravity working with you rather than working against you. And so most people, if they're on a Zoom call or if they are face-to-face -face with people, you'll find that they are either sitting in the chair leaning to one side or the other. They might be leaning forwards, really trying to push the sail, or perhaps leaning back, looking casual. If they're standing up, they tend to sort of lean on one hip or lean on the other. And in all situations, gravity is working against you. And ultimately, from an instinctive uh, sense of things, we feel like you're a pushover because literally if you're leaning to one side and we pushed you, you'd fall over. And so gravity is taking your strength away from you. 
Whereas if you sit or stand in a way where gravity is going straight down on your torso, so your posture is lifted upright and your gravity is going straight down on you, then you physically are in a stronger position. People know if I gave you a quick nudge, you're not going anywhere because gravity is now making you more powerful in that position. And straight away, you go from being a pushover to having gravitas because people, like I was saying with horns and halo, they just see you and they get it. This person is in a position of strength. We know that as a survival instinct back from, you know, dealing with tribes thousands of years ago, trying to survive, is this person strong or not? We feel that. So that's one of the key things that we found. Most people stand or sit like a pushover rather than having gravity there. And there's a point of clarity on that. This is not about sort of bracing, right. sort of forcing your chest forward, which yeah. some people think it's not that sort of army soldier position. It's really about allowing gravity to work with you. The second part that was uh, really key to this was around how people uh, use their gestures. Uh, and so, what we found is, again, that many people, the most common question, in fact, I've had on this over the years, uh, is people saying to me, uh, what should I do with my hands? When I go into an important meeting, I've got an interview, I really want to do a good sales pitch here. What, what should I do about that? And I, I say to them, well, what are you normally doing with your hands? It's not like you know, people have a challenge using their hands day to day. We just use them. We, we, you know, we talk to our friends. Uh, we go out for a drink. We're just casually having that conversation. But the challenge is we're, we're moving our hands subconsciously most of the time. And when you go into a meeting, you suddenly get self-conscious and think, what do I do with my hands? And so uh, really what we found is it's firstly a lot of people shut down. They tend to do very few gestures when they're speaking to people. They may have been told you talk too much with your hands. And so they, they, they sit on their hands or they keep them on the table or they might do sort of occasional sort of limp gestures thinking, I feel like I'm supposed to gesture, so maybe I'll do one. And all of those we found scientifically, internationally, that drops your ratings. You're seen as less confident, less convincing. And there's a really important piece of research from the University of Chicago that came out on this that says, if you gesture less, it slows down your brain. It slows down your thought processes. So, so get this, they took a group of mathematicians and to the brightest mathematicians in the class, uh, they said to them, okay, when we ask you some questions, we want you just to sit on your hands and give us your answers. Then they took the least uh, bright uh, mathematicians in the class and they said, we're going to ask you these same questions, but you have to gesture while you're giving your answers. And the least bright students got the highest scores and the brightest students got the least at uh, the lowest scores. Why? Because when you're not moving your hand, you're not connecting the nerves in your hand to your brain and stimulating your mind to speed up your thought processes. So if you want to think on your feet, make sure that you can, on the spur of the moment, have something meaningful to say. You've got to get those hands moving, plus it increases your ratings. Now, to go back to a really specific point that people can have around this, is between palms up and palms down. Now, the, the reason this is important is that many gestures are culture specific. So if I do thumbs up, thumbs down, if I do the okay symbol, it means different things in different parts of the world. Whereas palms down and palms up are the same. They mean the same thing. So palms up would be for open conversations, welcoming someone. And this is so important for virtual conversations people are having now, because for most people, the camera is so close you can't actually see their hands. So they might be gesturing and you think, is that a palms up or a palms yeah. down? Like, am I supposed to interact? I don't know. Uh, so when you do palms up, a person thinks, oh, you're interested in me. I can talk. You want me to say something. So palms up helps there. Palms down is great. If you're in sales and you're trying to close a deal, palms down is a closed message or it can be a serious statement saying, look, I'd love to move forward but this is the lowest price and we must do it by two o'clock on Tuesday. Palms down, they'll think, okay, she really means it. I believe this. So a mixture of palms up, palms down, getting gravity on your side. And a final little tip that I'll give people is the position of your elbows. Lots of people gesture with their elbows and next to their body, uh, this sort of limited position of gestures. And again, if you do that, all your ratings go down. If you just take your elbows and you have them slightly further away from your body, you're increasing your physical presence on screen or in person. You're literally sort of taking up more space, having more presence, and then people give those gestures more weight 
and more meaning. Uh, and as a final thing, I'll say on this, gestures are good. It's important to use them. Don't use them on every word because then every word feels like it's too emphasized. So you don't want to use it on every word and you want to keep your gestures below your shoulders because if you go over your shoulders, it seems overdramatic. Uh, so, so a few simple things there that people can do that dramatically increase uh, your presence online or in person. I think this is so helpful. You know, when I think about, um, you know, the just a person who is a master communicator and a lot of people, when they think of President Trump, right, they think, well, you know, I, I, I think, you know, I, I agree with his policies, but I don't like the way he communicates. And I'm like, really? I think he's a genius at communicating, right? Because you mentioned this in the book, that word congruency, right, where it, it talks about his style, the policies and the words, they all matched up. And I think what you also gave was a great thing for people to think about, where if you're looking at two people present it, you know, turn the sound down, even do this with yourself, just see how strong your message is by removing the words, um, you know, what could you do in terms of like, if you're new in a career, let's say sales, right? For a lot of people that have been disrupted by COVID-19, right? They find themselves, well, let me join the sales organization. But, you know, they worked in an office in a cubicle for their whole life, not talking to anyone. Now, all of a sudden they have to put themselves out there. What would you say, you know, just to give people a nudge in the right direction? Like, why is it so much more important today to work on these things? Because we are we are sizing up people, I feel, even more than ever, right? We're looking at people and saying, are you the real deal? Are you like, we're not just taking what people say at the word value anymore because of Google, we can look up what you're saying. We don't have to just rely on you. Could you just share, uh, you know, why it's so important to be congruent, to be real, to be authentic instead of, you know, even though it'll feel unnatural, I love what you said about the acting because you did it so much until it became a part of you as opposed to just winging it. Yeah. So I, I think this is key for the future for, for anybody. And I think about this particularly because I have two young children and I'm thinking, what is the future going to be for them? If you look for anybody who is in go going to have a career for the next uh, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, that everything that can be automated will be automated and everything that can be known will be online. So what does that mean for the future? We, we used to do, we used to have loads of jobs available for people that essentially can be automated and they gradually are going that way. There used to be jobs where you could know things, just having knowledge about something was a reason that people would come to you. But eventually all of those things are going to be available uh, in, in some form or other without going to a human. So what is it left for us as human beings? How can we stand out and really be valuable? There's two things really. Uh, primarily that we can look at. Firstly, our ability to apply knowledge in a way that a robot or a machine can't. And secondly, our ability to connect with another human being better than a machine can do it. And so that's why these are so critical to uh, the future where, and, and right now, you know, people, you, you've hit the nail on the head, people are having to develop these skills uh, more so because, you know, human beings are craving connection. Right now, we, we were forced in a position where we could only connect. I mean, some people were, were by themselves during the pandemic lockdown, some people with two or three people, and they were craving that sense of connection. But now we've come out of this lockdown, or most people have uh, at this stage. Almost everybody is having to figure out what is it like being with a bunch of other humans again? I'm sort of having to relearn this process. And so, so people who succeed. Uh, are absolutely going to be those, if you're a leader, an entrepreneur, if you're in politics, these are going to be people who, who study and work hard at what we used to be called soft skills, and frankly, in the future, should be called the critical skills, human skills. And so there's many ways in which people can go about this. And I encourage so many people to do this. I know that when I, when I decided I was going to a London acting school, my parents 
just exploded. They were crying. They were shouting. They thought this is a terrible idea for me. And I, I, I thought, wow, did I, did I make a terrible decision with my life? Um, but it, it's something that, you know, ironically has proved to be incredibly important in business, not just for me, but for all the clients we work with and for so many people now and into uh, the future. No matter how much technology takes over our lives, the ability for one human to connect to another is going to be critical. So I do often encourage people to say, look, you know, throw yourself into acting classes, go and try uh, like a stand-up comedy uh, routine, uh, you know, get, get anything that you can go to There's Toastmasters that you can go and join, which is that opportunity to just practice doing speeches off the cuff. Uh, with some feedback, anything that you can do like that. And I did all of them uh, repeatedly when I, was, uh, when I was younger. I also put myself in a position where with one client, I delivered for them a thousand presentations in the space of five years to 1000 different audiences. Wow. And so during that time, I went from a place of sort of knowing how to be an actor, but not really knowing how to be me in front of a group of people to them being in a place where, you know, it was like breathing. And so I encourage people, put yourself forward for this. And, and I say this a lot to people, but you've got to think, okay, what's my comfort zone? You know, what am I able to do right now? And every day I'm going to do something outside of that comfort zone because it's the only way to grow. And if you do something just slightly outside the comfort zone, the whole zone suddenly grows to inc include that. And then you go slightly bigger and slightly bigger. So if communicating with people is outside the comfort zone, it was for me. And now I, I run a company that teaches uh, how to do this. So I've gone from one end of the scale to the other. So I encourage you, put yourself forward. Next week, if someone says, who wants to speak in the team meeting, put your hand up and lean in, have the courage to say, I will do that, even if you're totally terrified, because what will happen is you'll do it. And after the meeting, your brain will realize I did it and I haven't died. So therefore, maybe I can do this again. And so you get that real uh, training, sort of life experience that it's okay to do it. And maybe next time you'll know, okay, I know I'm not going to die and now I'm going to do it better. So do lean into those experiences. And of course, you know, getting coaching or, you know, getting a copy of my book or someone else's will put you forwards in what the techniques are, but you've got to have the courage to choose the opportunities to step outside that comfort zone, to grow forwards into communication skills. Yeah, you know, in, in your book, you talk about all the things that we were, you know, really born to be able to do. You talk about speaking, feeling, moving, using your voice. You know, I would really like it um, if you could talk about um, conviction, you know, for people. When you are a speaker and you have a strong sense of conviction, you know, what does that do to your audience? And for people to understand, like a, a lot of times we are trying to convince other people, but really what they're reading is our conviction in what we believe. And if yeah. you could like elaborate on that and why that's so important, uh, because for a lot of people, we get into this thing where I have to like change the way you think. And that can almost be manipulative, right? So we don't, we want to get, we want to come from an authentic, genuine place. Like I believe if you're selling something, you got to believe wholeheartedly in what you're selling. That's what the customer picks up on instead of you, you know, ramming down them, you know, this is what you need to get. And this is why, if you could elaborate on that, I would love that because I'm really big on certainty. I'm really big on conviction in, in the way that we, we speak to our customers, to our clients, to the people that we work with. Yeah, yeah you're, you're absolutely right to say that conviction uh, behind what you're doing and how you're speaking is key for the whole thing to work. Uh, so, uh, you know, if, if people pick up from this, you know, as I was saying before, have good posture, use gestures. If they do that without conviction, it won't work. The same way that if you go, if you go and learn how to play tennis, you learn forehand, backhand, serve and volley, but you hit the ball without conviction, it's not going to even go over the net. And you might go, forehand doesn't work, backhand is nonsense, but it has to be done with conviction. When it comes to a message, how do you find that conviction? Well, for me, the way that I've looked at this and the way that we work on this with clients is to really tap into intrinsic 
validation. So a lot of people, when they're going out and trying to win business, they find themselves trying to win approval from somebody else, trying to get that person to like them or like the product or the company or to approve to give them a promotion or whatever they're looking for. And that's all extrinsic validation. It leads to stress. Uh, it leads to a feeling of emptiness as well. So instead of doing that, it's really important to get clear with yourself. Who are you? Like, what is your identity? What, it, what do you believe? If you had to write it down on a piece of paper and describe your character. So coming back to my acting training, describe your character genuinely doing this from a sense of who am I? What do I believe? What do I stand for? What are what are my principles that I will live my life by in important moments? And so you understand that's who I am and that's what I believe. And you come from that place when you speak. Now, now when we go and uh, speak to, uh, to clients, multiple times you know, over the years, you know, every year we have this where clients will say, you know, just so you know, we're looking at a couple of other providers. And I think that, that's fine. You, you go and look at other providers. Ultimately, if you want the best company in the business, you're going to come back to us. That's not going to change my price. That's not going to change how I come across in the meeting. I'm not going to be flustered in any way because I completely and utterly, utterly believe not just in selling you a training course, as it might be, or selling you a coaching session. I believe in connecting with you, caring for you, and making sure that you get to where you need to be in life. And if this isn't genuinely the, the best product for you or the best service for you, I'll put my hands up and say, actually, I think that this is the person you should connect with over here. And in the past, we've done that. And ironically, those people have said, whoa, the fact that you even said that, I want to work with you twice as much because nobody has ever said that with so much confidence. So I, I really want to be working with you. Now, a couple of people might be listening to this and thinking, well, that's great, Richard. Maybe you really believe in what you're doing, but there could be people listening who are in middle management positions where, you know, a message is put down to them said, you have to roll out this message and make sure that people hear it and they read the message and think, well, I don't really believe in this. Uh, you know, why should I have to put this forwards? And so I was coaching a group uh, before where they had to, this was management who had to make 300 people redundant and they'd never done that sort of task before. And they were really feeling the pressure of that situation. And they said, look, if it was my choice, I wouldn't be making them redundant. You know, why do I have to go into this meeting? And so what I came back to is I said, what are your values? Why, why is this uh, challenging for you? And they said, I, I want to take care of these people. That's what I care about. I care about people. I care about doing the right thing by people. And I said, okay, well, let's come from that place then. The decision has been made. 300 people will be made redundant. Now, when you go in that room, speak with the conviction that you care about people, you care about doing the right thing by people, a decision has been made, and you're going to do everything through that decision, through that process, and after the process is finished, to care for them through this process, making sure it works in the best way. And suddenly they had that revelation of, ah, it's not just about saying the lines or the message or showing these slides. I'm coming from the heart of myself, the core of myself, and that's what people feel. And, you know, I'm sure that you've had this. I've had this many times where, you know, people have said, clients have said, I went with you because you had the most conviction. You know, I've had other people come in here and just say, here's the stuff, here's the prices. I'll knock the price down for you if you, if you can do a deal. And they just didn't sense any passion or conviction or commitment. And that's what people are really buying into it. And it's worth always remembering, nobody will ever believe in what you're saying more than you sound like you do. And so you've got to reach a place of conviction and then go into that meeting. Yeah, this is so, so important. Thank you for sharing that with us. You know, I really love that you're, you talk about you know, these skills to increase our impact, because I think this is what a lot of people are looking forward to doing in the future. You know, when you talk about that, use your voice, I, I think this is what a lot of people feel today, right? And with podcasting, with social media, you know, we, we want to make sure that it's congruent with ourselves. I think that example you gave was you just making it congruent, what the company's mission was and what the individual's person mission was. So I love that you like tied that in. You know, you also talk about being able to adapt. And I love this because it flows into the other thing I wanted to uh, touch on which, with you, which is leadership. You know, why is it so important for you to be able to adapt when you are communicating with people also? So not to be too rigid because a lot of people say, well, that's just how I am, you know, take it or leave it. 
you know, take me as I am, but that might cut off your ability to impact and have an increase in influence in the world, right? Could you, could you elaborate on that? Why it's so important that we still have to be able to adapt and get better and grow and evolve? Yeah. Yeah. And there's so many important things in what you've said there. So, so first of all, you're right. There's maybe a, a lot of people listening to this who think, well, you know, this is just who I am and I'm going to go into my next meeting and just be myself. But you've got to remember when you say this is who I am, all you mean are these are my current habits. This is the way that I've been doing things for the last six years. And therefore, those are my habits. It's not you. You're, you are not your habits. You're so much more than your habits. And often what we do in training people is to say, OK, Here's your habits right now. Here's your full, full potential, which is 20 times the size. Do you want to stay in those current habits or do you actually want to explore all that you are and all that you can offer? Uh, and, you know, to come back to the analogy of tennis, imagine you get someone who's, um, who's a good football player and then they, they go onto uh, a tennis court and the person says, to win at tennis, you really need to pick up a racket and hit it. And the person says, yeah, but, you know, I just want to be myself. I just want to kick the ball. Well, straight away, you're going to fail. You're going to fail all day, every day by so-called being yourself rather than realizing, look, these are the tools I need right here and now. And this is something that we're seeing with virtual meetings for people to adapt to different situations that many people are really struggling with this. Where in, in, Think about in the past where you go out to a sales meeting, meet a client, uh, for some reason, and you, ha you have the journey there, you see the building, you see the sign, you see the people going in and out of the building, you get, a, you get a feel for the culture, you get a feel for the people, you have the coffee and reception, you go up to the person's office, you're getting a whole feel for who they are, and what might be appropriate behavior in that space, you're picking up lots of subconscious cues. Now, what do we do? We flick on a webcam, and we speak to somebody for an hour, we flick it off, and then we go on to the next one. And we're in the same place. We don't have those subconscious cues. And so what you often get is people who are uh, not thriving in this situation, who are really stumbling and who are getting that sort of sense of Zoom fatigue, Teams fatigue, screen fatigue, where they what they're really doing is just being the same way all day, every day with every person. We're also finding that people in virtual meetings are doing less in the way of chit chat before things start where it's pretty much you know, straight down to business because you know, this is when the meeting starts and, and off we go. And so for someone to thrive right now, particularly for a leader to stand out, you've got to recognize, yes, you're going to have a style that resonates with some people. And you go and speak to those people, you get a great result. You go and speak to other people and you don't. And here's what people do. They say, well, those people are good and those people are wrong. Uh, so instead, you've got to recognize, actually, it's you. You need to adapt to different situations. Think, okay, today I'm playing football, today I'm, I'm playing uh, cricket. I've got to adapt and be different in those situations. And so sometimes people need different things from you, different meetings, different messages, different people need a different part of you, a different side of you. And so you've got to tap into that and do it with conviction. It's not about you know, playing, playing a role or pretending to be something, but think about it this way. If you've got kids and you're reading them a bedtime story, a certain part of you comes out. If you then uh, go and visit your parents, a certain part of you comes out. If you go and meet that best friend that you knew from school, a certain part of you comes out. You need to access all those parts to be a great leader, to understand which part of me is required right now and be able to adapt and flow into that part of you. It's authentic. It's from you, but it's not boxing yourself into manager mode and just being one version all day, every day that nobody will engage with. A dynamic leader is someone who is genuinely able to be dynamic in their communication style and go into different places and be different ways with different people. Yes, this is powerful. I, I once had a conversation with a rabbi and he was telling me that, you know, the, in Hebrew, there's no word for face. It's just faces, right? And so in human beings, um, he's like, not only are we two-faced, we're four-faced, we're five-faced, like we have different aspects to our personality and how you are with one person isn't going to be how you are with another person. So I love that you're you're really touching on that because a lot of people they, they get almost awkward, right? Like they get into scenarios and you can, 
when, whenever we sense that someone's awkward, it just puts a feeling of unease over us when they're not comfortable in their own skin. And so, you know, what advice would you give to people to just get comfortable with the different aspects of themselves so that they don't feel like I am only this kind of person? What, what did you do to do this? Like, did you, was it being in the Tibetan, you know, the Himalayan mountains with the Tibetan monks? Was it, you know, the acting classes, how did you get yourself uncomfortable to really go through those motions and find the other faces uh, in, inside of you? Yeah, you're so right to explore these different faces that we have. It's critical that everybody understands that you've got to do this. If you look at, if you look at successful TV shows uh, right now, where some of them, they run for six, seven, eight, nine years and they can only do that if the character isn't two-dimensional if the character is two-dimensional we're done with them in 30 minutes forget it we're not interested but but in order for us to follow somebody like a tony soprano or something like that through you know eight seasons we have to see different sides of them where we go oh wow th this time the person's being vulnerable now they're being hard now they're being funny or that, wow that's interesting and look at how gentle they are with this person and how harsh they are over here we find that inspiring we because we believe it because we know that's what a human being is so if you're struggling thinking no 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 i have to be this one way people will see straight the way through it and think that's not human. You're not being real with me and therefore I need more of you. So you have to be able to do that. And, and for me, it really came through uh, the harsh challenges of life of realizing that just being one way wasn't working. And so I remember that, you know, I started as a speaker when I was 23, I think it was 22, 23. And uh, so for a little while, being a bouncy puppy dog sort of character sort of worked for me because people would think, who's this young kid and what does he really know? So I'd give them loads of energy and just really crack jokes and, and make myself uh, the, the brunt of those jokes as well. And that sort of worked for a while. But then I, I started to reach a stage where I was getting with more and more senior audiences, bigger and bigger companies, more and more high stakes situations where hundreds of millions of dollars were on the line. And I realized that going down that path just wasn't getting me the reaction. And in fact, was getting me rejection. And rather than thinking, huh, those people don't know, I just thought, what, what can I learn from this? Is there a different part of me that I need to grow into? And, and in order to be able to do that, occasionally I would think, I think that there is a part of myself that comes out when I am in a certain situation with a certain person. So in order to bring out like a warmer, softer side of myself, I thought there's a person I've been friends with since I've been 12 years old. And when I'm with that person, I just soften up and I connect with them and we are fun and playful. And sometimes I need that part of me. And there's a part of me now where, you know, if my, if my kids are about to run into the street, there's deadly serious dad mode that comes out where I will be the authority that I need to be or to take control and, and uh, be able to protect them if I feel that they're, they're in danger. There's a different part of me that I find. And so it's a matter of in a meeting, allowing that part of yourself to come in. And, you know, even with, with some clients, I've had to be in a position where they've occasionally booked me as the fun, motivational entertainer at their, at their company conference. And so everybody sort of thinks, oh, he's that guy who's always cracking jokes. And then when I've had to go in to do a highly serious meeting, what I've realized is I have to commit to being that side of myself before I enter the room. Otherwise, I'll go back into that old pattern. I need to know, look, this is the part of me. If I, with conviction, I'm going to serve these people in the right way right now, I have to tap into this part of me to get to where I need to go with them. And so you then start to see people interacting with you slightly differently. And they won't think, oh, he's being the way he would be with his children. They, they won't see that. They'll just see a different side of you. And then the, the, the key, the turning point for people is when you start to see you're getting a better reaction by sharing with people a different side of you, then you'll realize this is the way, this is the way forwards and see how many more aspects of yourself you can start to venture into. First of all, you may only have one now. If you can get a second one and then build in a third version of yourself where you think, okay, I can free up this part of me. I can be something other than these habits. Then when we get the praise, when we get the positive success from that, that encourages us to grow in that direction. Yeah, I, I think it's so important too, especially for women in business, you know, 
you know, business is a very masculine space, right? So you have to carry on a certain type of persona that I had to learn. Um, I had to learn how to toughen myself up, but then I'm, I'm not naturally that way. You know, I am, I love, love. I love my children. I want to like, I, I like to crack jokes. I like to, to do those things. And sometimes it's weird if people in business see me like that, they're like, no, cause that, that is just the other side. So I love that you're sharing this because for a lot of women today, it's almost like, okay, well, we're allowed to be moms now and be top, you know, CEOs, because now it's our worlds just got opened up and people see these different sides of us, which is, you know, before we felt like we had to hide it, which all, yeah. you know, wasn't always a good thing. So I love that you, you mentioned that, you know, I would like for you to just, you know, to tie into what you really are about. I think this has been such an intriguing conversation. I highly recommend that everyone get your book because I don't think there's something more important than people. You know, when, when you're in business, you know, unless you work for, you know, a company that is working on programming and you're coding and doing all this stuff, but even then your end product is for a person, right? So you have to understand people. So I don't think there's a more important thing than learning how to communicate with our end product or end user, which is always people. You talk about, you know, the, the three major areas, you talk about style, story, and state, you know, I'd love for you to just like tie this together for people to understand that, you know, your style matters, your story matters and your state matters. It isn't one thing. It's kind of all of those things coming beautifully together. And when we hear someone speak, they kind of have all those, all those three points, you know, aligned and they knock it out the park. And that's what allows them to be an effective communicator. Yeah, it's absolutely right. If you think about uh, someone who you've listened to, who you felt inspired by, who you felt uh, motivated by in any way, just, just break it down and think if any one of these things was missing, actually it wouldn't have worked. So if, if someone has got a, uh, you know, an engaging use of body language and they've got a great story to tell you, but they clearly look like they are shaking with fear, then it's not going to work. Equally, if someone seems super confident, they've got great body language and they've got nothing to say, well, you're going to walk away thinking, okay, nice to meet them, but I'm not going to do anything. They, 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 it was just empty. Uh, so it's critical that you have all three areas. So style, just thinking about, and, and the key behind all of these really is something that I come back to so much, which is lift. So when you think about your style, it's really important to think that my style is not for me. It is not what makes me comfortable. It is not the way that I've decided I'm going to be in every meeting. Your style is for somebody else. You've got to think, what am I aiming to achieve in life? What am I aiming to achieve in this meeting? And so body language is a language. And so you choose the words that are appropriate to a meeting. You need to choose the style, the body language that is appropriate to serve your message, your meeting, whatever you're driving towards. And so you've got to think, well, what is appropriate to help this person feel the way I need them to feel in order to drive my idea forwards? So always be thinking outwards in terms of if I want to lift this person by the end of the meeting, what body language will serve that purpose. When you think about your story and your content, so many people go in the wrong direction. People think, okay, what do I want to say? And if you've thought that about your meeting you're having tomorrow, forget it. You've gone in the wrong direction. Nobody cares about what you want to say. They care about what they need to hear. Not necessarily what they want to hear, but what do they need to hear and what order do they need to hear it in? So they are hooked from the beginning and all the way through. And so again, if you're going to lift people with your message, you've got to think, how does the brain need to receive information? Well, the brain loves stories. And if you master storytelling, then you can lift them through your style and your story to get them there. But ultimately, you've got to find that you're in the right state. If you go into a meeting where you feel you've got a chip on your shoulder, you're feeling uh, upset by the situation, you're feeling revenge, you're feeling like, I'm just going to hit my targets, I'm stressed out. If any of that's in your state, or just like nervousness, fear, anxiety about the situation, then it will pull apart everything else. All of this has to work together, your style, your story, and your state targeted towards how do I make sure that this person feels elevated by the experience of being with me? 
And if they feel elevated in some way by this experience, then that's going to be a fulfilling human connection and a good result afterwards. So all of them are really primed towards that end. Wow. You know, I can't thank you enough for your time. When I think about uh, leadership, this is something that really tugs at me. You know, I want to be a great leader to have impact, but more than that, I want our children to be great leaders because I think it's just so important to have good leaders in this world. And I can't think of something more important for leaders to get a handle on, which is communication and making sure that you have those nonverbal things, you know, lined up that you're assessing this. Do you recommend that people videotape themselves and watch it back? I know we do a lot of role playing. Do you recommend that people have someone that is a coach or their leader watch it with them? Or do you recommend people watch it on their own? How would you, how would you do that? Yeah, it's a really valid question. And I think there, there certainly is value in videoing yourself and watching it back. But bear in mind, if you do that, what you'll end up is something that looks good to you and doesn't necessarily get the reaction that you need from somebody else. So you might be going down a path that will, will only work with some people. So there is value in it. And we do uh, recommend that if you're recording a message that's going to be sent out to your team, then certainly record it a few times, watch it back. But don't just get feedback from yourself. Get feedback from other people. What do they pick up? Is it resonating with them? Get a few people you deeply trust to give you that straightforward feedback. Not people are going to sugarcoat it. People are directly going to say, this works, this doesn't, and here's why. So you make sure that you're going to get that feedback. But, but more than anything else, I would say that, that role-playing something with somebody who you trust. If you've got an important meeting coming up, Try it out with two or three colleagues before you go in there or two or three people that you trust to get live feedback and a reaction from them. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's the reason that stand-up comedians, they will go and try their material. Even the most successful people who are going on stage with 50,000 people, they'll go to tiny venues and try it out with 100 people and try it out with 50 people just to see, am I getting the reaction I really thought? And then I'll go, no, trash this material. It actually doesn't work. It doesn't work with this person. So the key is really to practice it with as many real people in the room as you can. And, you know, like I was mentioning before, I was privileged to have the opportunity to, to take a script early in my career and deliver the same sort of meeting with a thousand different groups of people, understanding, okay, this works, that doesn't. Maybe this delivery works. Oh, this delivery works sometimes, but not with these sorts of people. And by doing that with real people over and over again, you're going to learn something. And something that I always do after every meeting that I have, every time that I deliver, I mean, you know, my team is delivering 1600 training sessions this year. After every one of those that I host, I sit down with myself and I jot down what went well and what didn't, and how do I improve that next time? That self-reflection is hugely valuable because you're learning from the audience, not just learning by your own self-reflection. Wow. Everyone needs to get this book, You Were Born to Speak, because, you know, this is the whole point. How do we make an impact, you know? And speaking is not just with your words. I, I'm, I'm just, I'm asking that everyone hear my words and understand, and I'm going like this to open it up open up the discussion. And then I'm going to say, get the book, get the book with conviction. So thank you so much for your time. It's been an honor and a pleasure speaking to you and, and God bless and all of the work that you're doing for the world. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Sabrina. Thanks for listening to stand alone. If you like what you hear, I'd love if you leave a five-star review. To keep the conversation going, you can find me at I am Sabrina Lloyd or at Lloyd Agencies on Facebook and Instagram.